Hey guys, this is Allie. Welcome to the very first episode of Infertile AF, a podcast where women and their partners can come to share their stories about the messy, frustrating, painful, heartbreaking, absurd, and sometimes hilarious journey to have a baby, or in some cases, to not have a baby. As women, I believe we don't share enough about how difficult it is to try and have a baby, and we should. One in six couples have difficulty having healthy pregnancies. One in four women has a miscarriage. Annually, 15 million men and women are affected by infertility in the U.S. alone. And it's nuts to me. As people are choosing to have children later in life, the numbers are only increasing. So I think it's high time to talk about this with no stigmas, no judgment, and no bullshit. Now more than ever, there's power in female storytelling. We need brave, authentic truth-telling. We need raw, not sugar-coated. We need to lift each other up by getting down with some real shit. We need to say the unsaid. And I do believe that it's the hardest but one of the most important things we can do. So let me tell you a little bit about me. Between my daughter, Ever, who's now nine, and my son, Sonny, who's now three, I went through four years of infertility, and it was complete hell. I'm the kind of person that needs to talk about what I'm going through. It's just how I deal with stuff. And as my poor friends and family can attest, I was wanting to talk about this a lot. I think I drove a lot of people crazy at times and drove myself crazy too. I kept finding myself desperate to relate to other people who were going through infertility as well, but I kept coming up short. I couldn't find any good books that weren't like super clinical or super serious or weirdly religious in a way that I wasn't able to relate to them. I thought the Facebook groups and the message boards were kind of exhausting. And at the time, there weren't even really podcasts. I mean, there were, but not like there are now. I'm aiming for this to be unfiltered, raw, real, and honest. It's not a medical podcast, and it's not a guide or something that's going to give you all the answers, um, because I still don't know what any of the answers are, really. But in this podcast, what we will do is talk about all the complicated bits and all the different outcomes of trying to have a baby. We're going to talk about the happy endings, the ones that are still in limbo, and the soul-crushingly sad ones. We'll get real about everything. Miscarriages, egg freezing, sperm donors, adoption, infertility, depression, and anger, secondary infertility surrogacy, IUIs, acupuncture, endometriosis, early menopause, therapy, marriage and relationship drama, embryonic genetic testing, money issues, that crazy jealousy you feel when you see somebody else with a baby bump and you don't have yours, and so, so, so much more. In each episode, I'm going to share one person's unique story about trying to have a baby. From same-sex couples to single moms and dads to married couples who've been put through the ringer for years. As a journalist for more than 20 years, I've interviewed thousands of people about a zillion different topics. But this time I'm getting more personal than ever before. I'm ready to crack open this topic that's been super hard to talk about for way too long. Mainly, I want women and their partners to feel comforted and empowered. I want them to know that I hear them and they're not alone. So that being said, I want to thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here. And without further ado, this is my infertility story. You guys, I never thought I would be someone who had to go through IVF. Real talk, and I'm not proud of this. Even in my mid-30s, I didn't know anything about IVF. 
For years, I thought IVF was something emotionally unstable octomoms chose to do when they wanted to have a litter of babies. They'd pop out eight kids, go on Oprah, be gifted a minivan, a year's supply of diapers, and a trip to Disneyland, and call it a day. Shit, was I wrong. My husband Vince and I were high school sweethearts who, after going to two different colleges in Illinois, where we dated as many people as we possibly could, got married at 27. We had it pretty good, and when we settled back into our relationship, we knew we were going to be a family. But when my job as an editor for Playboy magazine moved us from Chicago to Manhattan on my 29th birthday, we put off having kids for a few more years. In Chicago, a lot of my friends from college were starting to have babies, and one of my best friends, shout out to Amy Hook, had just had twins. But in New York, it was a totally different story. We didn't know anybody, really, or anything. We had to build a new life from scratch, and we needed to make some friends and figure out how to take the subway without getting lost before we could even consider bringing a baby into this world or this situation. So fast forward to when I was 34, we decided to go for it. And as luck would have it, I got pregnant the second or third month we tried. And my pregnancy overall was pretty good, though admittedly, I was pretty clueless about pregnancy and any issues that might arise at that point. I had this thing called placenta previa, which is when your placenta is blocking your cervix. So when it's time for the baby to be born, there's nowhere for the baby to come out. And I remember being in my doctor's office and she told me I'd have to have a C-section. And I remember asking her, well, what would happen like way back in the day when C-sections didn't exist? And she got really chipper and she looked at me and she goes, oh, both mother and baby would die. And I remember being like, Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, Thankfully, C-sections do exist, and our daughter, Ever Kimberly Prado, was born on September 24th, 2009, when I was 35 years old. I was beyond smitten. Vince and I both were. I remember the first night when the nurses came into my hospital room to take her to the nursery for a few hours so I could get some sleep. And I missed her so much while she was gone that I stayed awake all night just looking at pictures of her I'd taken a few minutes before on my phone. In an instant, being a mom had become my favorite thing in the entire world. So for three years, a second kid was the last thing on our minds because like all other new parents, we were totally whooped. Brooklyn is an amazing place to raise a kid, but it's not the easiest logistically. Um, A lot of people don't have cars. There's no Target super nearby. There's no yard. Uh, We had to walk up three flights of stairs to get to our condo. And we could barely keep it together with one kid, much less two. We weren't in a rush because it had only taken us a couple of months to get pregnant with Ever. So when the time came that we were going to start trying, we were like, what could possibly go wrong? So Vince and I decided to go for it, but in a complete shock to us both. I had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage, four in all, each one more heartbreaking than the next. From 2012 to 2015, I was unwittingly buckled into this roller coaster ride called infertility, as I said, approximately 15 million men and women do each year, with no idea how it was going to end. But I did know this. I became laser focused on getting pregnant. I found myself in this endless cycle of tracking my ovulation, having clunky sex on demand, getting pregnant, 
losing the baby, spiraling into depression, and fighting with Vince. I was totally lost. We were lost. And I was sad and desperate and heartbroken and pissed. With three members, our family just didn't feel complete to me. And I couldn't figure out what the hell we were doing wrong. And so I think any women listening who have gone through this or are going through this can relate to this part. You kind of become, your life becomes kind of a blur of just like getting pregnant, got to get pregnant, got to get pregnant. What can I do? What can I do? It's like OBGYN visits and ovulation kits. And I remember I downloaded this tracker app called Maybe Baby. I bought so many pregnancy tests, the really, really cheap ones where you get like 50 in a box and then the really expensive ones that have words on them that say like pregnant and not pregnant instead of just those two little lines. I went to fertility acupuncture, chiropractor. We tried IUIs. I Googled miscarriage prayers, progesterone creams, brutal workouts, tons of vitamins and supplements, weird smelling teas and like woo-woo elixirs. Anything that had baby promising ingredients At one point, I bought these magic wish papers that you light and release into the sky. I mean, I was like grasping for anything. I went to a psychic. I started going to weekly therapy, which I'll get into a little bit more later. The list goes on, but I legit felt like I was going crazy and still no baby. And again, as anybody going through this or having gone through this knows, the toll that trying to get pregnant and not being successful takes on your relationship or your marriage is so rough. I mean, at times Vince and I were in such a dark place. I wasn't sure if we would make it out still married. And this is my best friend since we were 16. And all of a sudden I was like, are we going to make it? It was so confusing and so heartbreaking on so many levels. So meanwhile, I've got this gorgeous, amazing daughter at home who has really no idea what's going on. On, you know, we're trying to hide the miscarriages and all this turmoil and us fighting behind closed doors late at night. I don't think she was keen to what was going on. I mean, I guess I'll find out later when she goes to therapy, but, you know, I'm trying to be a good mom for her. But on the inside, I was, felt like I was dying. And it also seemed like everybody with a uterus was knocked up and having no problem creating the families of their dreams. I remember riding the subway once and seeing this pretty young mom and she had three or four kids and they were crying and you know being naughty and she was like kept kind of smacking lightly the little one that was in the stroller and she was just generally being mean to them and I looked at her and I was like oh my god can I take one of your kids please (laughs) like you don't want them you're not being nice to them because you have these irrational thoughts where it's like why me why is this happening to me why does everybody else get a kid but I don't And then you go on social media and it seems like all your Facebook friends from high school and college and your old jobs are pregnant. And, you know, you'll read Us Weekly and there's all these over 35 celebrities who are flaunting their baby bumps on the cover. And she's pregnant again at 44 and they weren't even trying. And she'll lose the baby weight in five minutes. I felt like every time I saw another baby bump, I seethed. I remember one time I was talking on the phone with one of my best friends from high school, Becky. Hi, Becky. And we were talking about just what I was going through. And she goes, 
this getting pregnant shit is for high school chicks, which just made me laugh so hard because it's so true. You grow up your whole life being terrified of getting pregnant and having like this fear beaten into you that if you have sex once, you're going to get knocked up and you have no idea actually scientifically how hard it is to actually get pregnant. There's a very small window where it can happen. I also remember finding this one book online that made me laugh. And the title of the book was Every Drunken Cheerleader, Why Not Me? (laughs) That made me crack up. But anyway, I was feeling sorry for myself and furious at the universe. And I was beating myself up too. Because as someone who'd been conditioned to think that if you work hard enough at something, it will probably work out and you'll probably be successful. I was gutted at this lack of success. I felt like I was studying as hard as I could for a test and still getting an F. One day I went to Barnes and Noble after having one of my miscarriages, looking for a book, like a cool kind of girlfriendy, like girl to girl, woman to woman book about infertility. And first it took me a long time to find the section. It was only like six inches wide, the section of books on infertility. And it was lumped in with pain, sleep, thyroid, and other health conditions. And there was only like 10 books on the subject. And I remember thinking, why is no one talking about this? Why is this so taboo? My OBGYN tried to make me feel better. And she made a good point. She said, you're frustrated with your body, but in reality, your body is doing the right thing by getting rid of unhealthy pregnancies, which made sense. But still, I was devastated. One thing that really helped was going to therapy. I found this badass therapist and... You know, I was wallowing in this very common, why me? What did I do to deserve this? Why am I being punished? I'm a good person. What can I do to make this right? And I remember during one session, she said something that really resonated and helped me shift my perspective. And it's something I still think about just in regards to life in general. And what she said was, you know, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And that's just kind of the way that it is. Another time she emailed me a quote, which also really stuck to my bones. And what she wrote was, your life is happening in the order it's supposed to, even if it doesn't make sense. I do believe that what screws us up most in life is a picture in our head of how it's supposed to be. So yeah, that was a good reminder that sometimes you just have to let go of stuff and not overthink it and that everything's going according to plan. So I kept going to therapy and each week, we tried shifting my perspective and she worked really hard to try and help me accept life as a family of three. And let me just get this straight. I have no problem at all with only children. My husband's an only child of two only children and he had an extremely happy childhood and he adores his parents and they're absolutely wonderful. But it just for me wasn't how I was picturing my own life. At this point, I think Ever was about four And I just loved being a mom so much. She made me so happy. And this is a tricky thing to try to explain to some people. You know, when you already have a kid and you're trying desperately to have another one, it wasn't that ever wasn't enough. It was that I was so madly in love with her. I wanted to do it all again. I wanted to have all those experiences again. And having gone through, you know, raising her for four years and not thinking it would be the last time that I changed a diaper or used a stroller, I kind of felt sad that I didn't, I wasn't going to have that closure like, oh, that last diaper I changed, I wish I would have known that would have been the last diaper 
ever I would have changed on one of my kids. And that's another thing I want to touch on briefly is this notion of secondary infertility, which is a term I didn't even know about until after I had my son. But I've come to find out it's kind of controversial. You know, when you already have a kid, and I think there's a tendency for some people to kind of scoff at that and think, you know, God, she already has a baby. Why is she driving herself crazy to have another one? Or for some women who don't yet have a baby and are struggling, you know, they might think that you're being greedy or you should just be happy what you have. And I understand that to a certain degree, but I don't agree with it. I think that no matter where you are in your family, if it's your second kid, your third, your fourth, if you're struggling with infertility, it fucking sucks just as much as it does the first time. And believe me, there were times when I would think, oh my God, I would do anything in the world to not want this so badly and you know, not feel this way because it's causing so much pain and it's fracturing my marriage and I'm driving myself and everyone around me crazy, but I just couldn't not want it. So some days I swear the pain of this was physical. I swear that I could feel like shards of my heart breaking off and careening through my body. I remember there was at the time this one Pampers commercial that was in heavy rotation where there's this woman who's just had a baby and she's holding her newborn skin to skin for the first time. And they played it constantly on like Hulu or Netflix or something. And it would cause me to spiral like my entire body would tense up and I would like get tears in my eyes. And it was so hard for me to watch. I had this feeling deep in my heart that my life just wouldn't feel complete without another kid. I mean, obviously, if it didn't happen, I would survive. But deep down, I really think that I would have always had this deep-seated sadness, this feeling of loss and even grief. Okay, so I want to talk some more about my amazing husband, Vince. We were in a rough place, and he was pretty adamant against doing IVF for a couple of different reasons. I mean, this is a separate episode that I think we'll probably do later because I think it's important for husbands and partners to tell their side of the story as well. And I would love for Vince to talk about what he was going through. But one of the reasons that he was against it was money and rightly so. IVF is rarely covered by insurance. As many of you know, sometimes it is, but most of the time it's not in our case, it wasn't at all. So we, you know, we knew we'd be paying tens of thousands of dollars out of pocket. Another reason that Vince wasn't super gung-ho about IVF was that he didn't have that crazy intense need that I had. You know, we tried and tried and we'd had a beautiful daughter and we were in this crazy cycle. And I think he believed that we'd made a valiant effort and it just wasn't in the cards for us. And it was ready to close this chapter and end all this turmoil and pain. And I totally get that. I do. And again, I get it. I didn't agree with it and I didn't feel the same way. In fact, you know, I was kind of mad at him for battling me so hard on this. And I remember thinking, oh my God, can't you see? I will do anything to make this happen. And I'm going to die if we don't even try IVF once. So one day in early 2014, I talked to Vince about just going to see an IVF specialist just to get a consultation. And by now I was 40 and I just felt like, you know, this was one avenue that I wanted to explore a little bit and see. We tried IUIs, we tried, you know, a bunch of other things, nothing was working. So I went. I found this great doctor and he did a sonogram 
and he found out that I had a lot of eggs in my reserve, but the quality of those eggs was not looking good. A lot of them carried genetic abnormalities, which meant that even if they were fertilized, they'd create unhealthy embryos, which in turn meant miscarriages. So I remember him saying, you're not having trouble getting pregnant, you're having trouble staying pregnant. The odds were against me, but he seemed hopeful. And with the right treatment, he said I was actually a perfect candidate for IVF. So I remember leaving the office feeling like, okay, all right, we got a shot. But then I had the battle again of trying to convince Vince to go for it with me. It took a couple months and we talked about it a lot. And finally, one day after probably a thousand arguments and like a hundred thousand tears, we made the decision that we would give it one shot. We do one IVF cycle and one only. And if it didn't work, it was time to move on and close this chapter. And I thought that that was a very fair compromise. So finally, Vince and I were on the same page and we were going to go. Okay. So concurrently, while this is going on, there was something else going on, which was that since I knew I couldn't control the quality of my eggs, there was one thing I could control and it was getting into the best physical shape and mental shape of my life. So I had always been going to yoga and soul cycle and working out, but I decided to really step it up and like go ham on my workouts. So I want to give a shout out here to my yoga instructor at the time, Katie Mason, who's now Katie Hampton because she got married. Katie, I love you. I found Katie at Y7, this yoga studio in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, and I started going to her classes regularly. And she was awesome. Just a great class. It's a dark room. They play hip hop music. It's an awesome studio. And one day I went to class and I remember I had just had another miscarriage a couple of days before and I could not stop crying during yoga class. I was just a hot fucking mess. I had brought in <laughs> this like long strand of toilet paper and put it next to my yoga mat and I kept blowing my nose during class and like sniffling and quietly sobbing. And I remember at one point she came over to me and put her hand on my shoulder and was like, are you okay? And I think I was like, I'm fine. But then after class, I went up to her and I told her what was going on and she was so sweet. And then we started emailing and we became friends. And at one point she taught this private yoga class for me and my friends, which was so therapeutic and awesome and fun. And anyway, Katie, I just wanted to talk about how yoga was so important to me because I love you and miss you and I hope you're listening to this. But that was something that really was helping me physically and emotionally was just going to this regular class and getting it all out. Another person who was a total rock during this time was Noah Shaw. I first met Noah in 2013 when the Williamsburg Soul Cycle Studio first opened up and I immediately loved him. He was covered in tattoos, he played Guns N' Roses and Led Zeppelin, and he looked like he'd been around the block a few times. And he had. He was a recovering alcoholic and drug addict who has an amazing life story, and he had turned his life around by becoming a soul cycle instructor. And I started going to his class regularly, and he was just so inspiring, and his classes were so fucking fun, and the music was so great, and I would like sing and be a total dork and cry and like rock out on the bike. And 
it was just like the best outlet and I needed it so badly at the time. I think I probably cried in every class of his for like the first six months because they're at the end they play this kind of slow song right before you're done and it oh it always got me and I'd be like sobbing into my towel but you're sweating too so nobody really knows and it's dark and it was just amazing. Finally in early 2015 I had started IVF and I wanted to tell him like I just felt this need to tell him how much his classes meant to me and how much he had been a part of this journey. And so I remember going up to him after class and being like, can I email you? And he was like, yeah, sure. And gave me his email. And I actually found the email yesterday. And I just want to read a little bit of it. Okay, so the subject line of the email I wrote to Noah was, it was February 18th, 2015. And the subject line was, thank fucking God for you. And part of what I wrote was, I've been wanting to write you for a while to simply tell you that you're really fucking awesome. Your classes are the highlight of my week. And thanks to you, I've never felt stronger physically or mentally. I've never worked so hard or been so proud at the end of a class. I love this community of badasses you've created and I thrive on it and I've come to really need it actually. And I also appreciate this message that you spread every single time a group of us comes into that room. You really care about people and that makes a difference. You are fucking amazing. And I'm going on. I think putting good energy out into the universe makes a difference. It's been pretty heartbreaking going down this road. And your class has seriously gotten me through a lot of rough times. I've cried so many times in that dark room. So if it does work, I'll be back in your class eventually riding for two. And if it doesn't, I'll be back trying to cope with another rough patch. Either way, I'll be fine. In short, I look forward to riding with you again soon. Oh, because I had written that because I was I had to stop exercising for a while because I was taking all these drugs because I had started my IVF cycle. So I saw him again soon after I sent that. And I remember he gave me a huge hug and said, thanks for sharing your life with me. And at the end of that class, as he does to everybody, he always brings a candle over to someone, a lit candle for them to blow out and make a wish. And that day he brought it over to me. And I remember making a wish. And I'm sure you guys can guess what that wish was and blowing it out. So I was in my first and only round of IVF. And of course, it didn't go super swimmingly. I remember at one point, I had ordered this $4,000 box of drugs to be delivered that I needed to start taking. And they got lost. And I remember calling the company, they said, Yeah, we delivered them. And they were nowhere to be found. And I was legit having a nervous breakdown, like, where the fuck are they? What the hell's going on? Emailing all my neighbors, going door to door at buildings around my condo building, could not find these drugs. And I needed to start taking them the next day. So I was in a panic. And I remember the next morning, randomly, this one neighbor that I never talked to, just kind of casually knocked on my door and he's like, oh, this was delivered to me instead of you. And it was the drugs. And I was like, oh, thank fucking God. But it was so nerve wracking because I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't have another $4,000 and I'm going to miss my window. And it was so stressful. There's so many stories about just like the random stuff that happens during your cycle because timing is so important. Another time I remember I was on a business trip in L.A. doing an interview for a magazine with somebody. I remember I had to give myself a shot at a certain time that night before I got on the airplane back to New York And I was in my rental car and I stopped at the gas station to fill it up. 
And I was like, well, I can't take these needles on the airplane. They'll probably get confiscated. So I need to do the shot now. So I remember going into this super dingy, like shady gas station bathroom in Los Angeles and walking in. And I remember looking in the garbage can, which was this big open garbage can. And there were other needles in there too, which were probably from like heroin or something. And I was like, oh shit. All right. So I give myself the injection and I'm like, I'm probably going to come out and there's going to be like police waiting for me to arrest me because I've been shooting up in the bathroom. But thankfully, I didn't get arrested. And it was also around this time that I started looking for clues from the universe. Like, am I doing the right thing? Is this going to work? And I found myself getting more and more superstitious and like looking for magic and bits of, you know, signs, pointing my head and my heart more towards the stars. Because when you're going through something like this, there's just so much unknown. And I was looking for something to like anchor me. I had gone to a psychic and she had told me that there was a baby boy in my future. So I was hanging on to that notion. And then there was a song and I couldn't escape it. It was Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. And it was everywhere. I kept hearing that song everywhere around this time. It was like on the radio in my rental car. It was in my spinning class. It was, I'd walk into Dwayne Reed and it was playing on the speakers. It was in the doctor's office waiting room. And I kept hearing that song and it was always very comforting when I heard it because, you know, the lyrics, which I won't sing, but it's basically like Little Darling. It's been a long, cold, lonely winter. Little Darling, it feels like years since it's been here. Here comes the sun. And I'm sure when George Harrison wrote those lyrics, he wasn't conjuring up a heartbroken 40-year-old woman in New York City who was trying to have her second baby. But I was so desperate to hang on to something that that became my song. And the lyrics seemed more appropriate than ever. And every time I heard it, I would be like, okay, it's going to happen. It's going to work. This is it. And then at one point before my transfer, when my doctor recommended that I freeze my embryos, I was like, oh my God, they talk about that. And here comes the sun. Cause there's that line where he's like, little darling, I feel that ice is slowly melting little darling. It seems like years since it's been clear. And so I was like, okay, we're going to freeze it. The ice is going to melt. I'm going to have this baby. I mean, you guys, I was pretty batshit crazy mentally at this point. There's just so many hormones and so much coursing through your veins. But when it came time for, I did all the drugs and the stimulants and it was time for my egg retrieval. I remember feeling really smug when I came out of the surgery because they told me that I had netted 29 eggs. And I remember I was in the recovery room and I heard the doctor telling the woman in the, the room next to me, because there was just like a curtain between us, that she had gotten 12 eggs. And I remember, which is such an asshole move at the time, but I remember thinking, ha only 12, like loser, which is, again, I mean, I'm obviously don't judge other people. I was on drugs and I'm going to blame it on that at the time, but it was just, you get a little competitive, you know, when you're going through this as much as you hate to admit it. So anyway, I remember emailing my doctor and he was saying that 29 eggs were great. 22 ended up being mature. So those are the ones that were going to be able to be fertilized. And then out of those 22, my number dropped down to 13. So I had 13 that went through normal fertilization. And I remember my doctor saying, it's not great, but it's not bad. Like the normal range is 60 to 90% fertilization. And 13 out of 22 was almost exactly 60%. So I remember him saying it's on the lower end of normal. 
And he also told me in that email, like, it's totally okay for you to have a glass of wine now. You've earned it, which I thought was cute. So then the next steps were watching the embryos for a couple of days to see how they matured. And then whatever was left, we were going to get genetically tested. So we did that. So we had five embryos that were PGD tested. And when we got the results, four of those embryos were unhealthy. Two of them had one extra chromosome and two had one less chromosome. And there was one embryo that was perfect had 46 chromosomes. They grade each embryo. The best is 6AA, and our one healthy embryo was just one level below that, 6AB, which was awesome and very lucky. So basically, we had one embryo, and we had one shot. And my doctor said at this point, we had decent odds, but still, you know, who knows? Another interesting kind of statistic that my doctor told me was that when they did the retrieval, so they got 29 eggs that basically they took two and a half years worth of my eggs to get one good one. So, you know, doing IVF was the right move for us because if we kept trying naturally or doing, you know, things less than IVF, we would have had like two and a half more years of miscarriages. So that was pretty interesting to me. So in April of 2015, we did our transfer, and I remember my doctor, who was so great, made sure that he was the one that did it, because he was, you know, told me he was very invested in my story, and we had emailed, and we'd become really close. I was, like, emailing him constantly with crazy questions, and he was so great about getting back to me. But he's the one who did the transfer, and then right after that, Vince Ever and I went to Florida for spring break to visit Vince's parents. And I remember, you know, I wasn't going to find out until we got back if it had worked or not. But I remember one day we were at the pool and I went up to get a juice at this hotel pool bar that we were hanging out at. And here comes the sun came on. So the day after we got back from vacation, it was 10 days after my implantation, I went to the clinic at the crack of dawn for a pregnancy blood test. And I remember after they took the blood test, the nurse was like, Now just go home and take a nap and we'll call you in like five hours. And I remember thinking, go fuck yourself, take a nap. Right. Like I'm going to be able to sleep right now. But five hours later, I'll never forget this because it was like out of a movie. It was such a like movie cliche. I was, had been laying in bed and the doctor's office called and she said I was pregnant. And I was so shocked and elated. And I remember tears like shooting out of my eyes horizontally and my jaw like hit the bed and I dropped the phone. And I remember she said, call us when you deliver. And that term and those, those five words, all right, now I'm going to start crying. Those five words that I had been desperate to hear for four years, call us when you deliver. And I thought, holy shit, it worked. So our little guy, Sonny Vincent Prado, was born on December 11th, 2015. And he's three now. And he's a total maniac. (laughs) And we love him so much. He's hilarious. And he's strong. And Ever is the greatest big sister to him and helps me out so much and puts up with all of his shit. And our family is complete. And... It's funny because I think about, I'm not sure what worked or why. I mean, science and modern medicine, obviously, but I really also believe that luck and magic had a lot to do with it. 
and that putting good energy out into the universe and getting it back also had a lot to do with it. But I also want to tell you guys that I know the end result and my happy ending is not the point of this podcast. I'm totally aware that my IVF story is different from so many other women's because I did have the good fortune of ending up with a healthy baby and I got so lucky and not everybody does. So I just want to be clear that, you know, I'm not trying to say what I did was correct or that I have all the answers or that I'm better than anybody else or anything like that. I just wanted to share my story because I hope that it helps people and maybe gives them a little bit of hope if they're going through this. So if you're still here, I want to thank you so much for listening. And if you have a story of your own that you'd like to share, please shoot me a note at infertileafstories at gmail.com. Or you can slide into my DMs on Instagram at infertileafstories. Or if you have anybody you know that might benefit from listening to this, please share it with them. I also want to thank Vince and Ever for being there for me throughout all of this on all the drama and also my parents and my sisters and brother. So with that, I just want to send big, big love to anybody who's struggling, anybody who's going through this or has gone through this. I love you and I'm sending you love. And we are going to have new episodes of this podcast out every week where someone can tell their own unique story. So thank you again, and I will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.